it's uh, China economic conflict and how BlackRock is making a huge mistake by going into to uh, China and mainland and selling securities. Is that having an impact? And if so, is what? Well, what do you what do you think? Very quickly, Sam and uh, Dicky, because we're running out of time. Do, do people really focus much on what George Soros says these days out here? But honestly, no. I don't think it has any impact whatsoever <laughs> on the market. Uh, there's been, uh, I think, if people have decided to uh, to sideline the uh, the politics and to business, at the moment they already made their decision. So. I have the same feeling as well. Uh, it, it gives basically no pressure at all to the Hong Kong stock market. But uh, honestly speaking, the valuation already very low at this moment. So uh, after the recent rebound, uh, I guess um, those um, we so-called new economy uh, share share price will stabilize at that, this level. I should clarify for listeners who are wondering what exactly George Soros said. He wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this week, basically saying BlackRock was making a catastrophic mistake uh, by increasing its investments into China. It's obviously it's received approval recently uh, to expand fund management services on the mainland. But he has been a vocal critic uh, in, in recent weeks, hasn't he, of, uh, of investments into China. Okay, well, thank you very much. You heard there, Dickie Wong, head of research at Kingston Securities, Sam Favreau, who's chief executive officer at Mandarin Capital, and our international economics correspondent, Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week. First of all, uh, down in Australia, the ASX 200 off a third of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is still flat. does look like a, a small loss at the open for the Hang Seng of about 20 or 30 points. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil right now trading at $71.79 a barrel. Gold slightly firmer at $1,797 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned for Back Chat with Jim Gould and Anna Fenton coming up in just a moment. The weather forecast, mainly fine, very hot during the day, one or two isolated showers. Maximum temperature is going to be around 34 degrees. The very hot weather warning is in force right now. And the outlook is for it to be very hot on Thursday, isolated thunderstorms later. And then more showers and windier later on Friday and during the weekend. The temperature right now out at the observatory is 29 degrees and it's 82% relative humidity. 8.32 and a half, here's Barry O'Rourke with the Half Hour News. The Hong Kong Alliance, in support of patriotic democratic movements of China, says police have arrived at the homes of its key members this morning after the group refused to hand over information requested by the force's National Security Unit. The group delivered a letter to the force yesterday explaining why it wouldn't hand over the information and rejecting accusations it was a foreign agent. The Security Secretary, Chris Tang, warned law enforcers would act quickly against anyone who refused a request for information. Southern District Councillor Paul Zimmerman says he doesn't believe he'll face any problems completing his pledge of allegiance to the Basic Law and the SAR. He'll be among the first batch of district councillors required to pledge their loyalty on Friday. Chief Executive Carrie Lamb has said anyone who refuses could lose their seat. Mr Zimmerman said he was unsure how many of his colleagues could be unseated as it was unclear where authorities would draw what he called the red line. He also said there were no legal grounds to claw back payments made to disqualified councillors. It's unfortunate that why I've lost all my colleagues in the council. Um, I think that the, uh, there is no real legal ground for, for calling back the money uh, that is being paid to you as, a, as an honorarium, as a, uh, as a salary basically and for expenses for executing your job in the community. 
The government says it's phasing out the use of self-collected deep-throat saliva samples for people subject to mandatory testing. From today, people covered by testing orders because they've been at the same place as a confirmed COVID patient will have to have throat and nasal swabs collected by a professional. The same rule applies to people using two new schemes to travel from the mainland and Macau, as well as people who've finished hotel quarantine. Officials say swabs are more reliable. The Taliban have announced a caretaker government in Afghanistan, which has been told by the group's secretive spiritual leader to uphold Sharia law. This strict interpretation of Islamic law was widely used when the movement was last in power two decades ago. The Taliban are also recreating a ministry of vice and virtue, which last time deployed religious police to walk the streets, scrutinising people's behaviour. Ahmad Shuja Jamal is a former official at Afghanistan's National Security Council, who is now in exile. Look at the list. There is no Ministry of Women's Affairs. There are no nominees for the Attorney General's office or the judiciary. But it has actually brought back the dreaded Ministry of Vice and Virtue, which has been responsible for cabling and caning of women and for putting them behind the four walls of their houses. More news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today uh, we're talking about uh, Hong Kong people's longevity and later on the expo industry. For the seventh consecutive year, Hong Kong has maintained its position of having the world's greatest life expectancy. By 2020, men could expect to live on average 82.7 years, while for women it was 88.1 years, and the figures keep on going up. According to a study conducted by seven universities, researchers said uh, the low smoking prevalence was the single most important reason for such long life. What do you think? What may be the other reasons for our longevity? And what about the welfare of the elderly? After 9.15, we're discussing the convention and exhibition industry. As the pandemic drags on, it's calling for extra help to stay afloat. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 uh, Joining us uh, on, the, on the line now, we have uh, Jean Wu, Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University and who is also the director of the CUHK Jockey Club Institute of Ageing. And uh, Dr. Judith Mackay, Honorary Professor at uh, Hong Kong U School of Public Health and a Senior Policy Advisor to the World Health Organization. Uh, so good morning to you both. Perhaps if we could start with you, uh, Jean Wu. So uh, I guess uh, congratulations to Hong Kong on uh, maintaining its record on, on such uh, impressive uh, longevity. Um, we'll, we'll obviously talk about smoking a little bit later, but uh, f for you... Um, what are the main factors? Why why do people here uh, live so long? Um, you know, compared with the rest of the world. Uh, yes. Uh, good morning to you and everyone. Um, I think obviously smoking is a very uh, important factor. Um, uh, but I think um, when you look at life expectancy, um, there, there are phases, right? Because in the early days, um, the most important factor was actually uh, Hong Kong's system of uh, maternal and child health 
in reducing infant and maternal mortality. And Hong Kong was very successful in in kind of being the lowest in the world. Um, so for a time, that was the major contributor. Uh, and then with decline of infectious diseases, the non-communicable diseases uh, took on uh, more prominence. So uh, heart disease, stroke, etc. And during that phase, uh, the risk factors for these diseases, if you control them well, they will have a major impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think depending on what uh, what period, now if, if you were to look at the future, uh, would this be sustained? Um, when you look at the future, there may be other factors coming in. Uh, so I think I think that. Um, We've got to look at things all the time. And the other point I want to make is it's it's good to compare with other countries. But within a place, within Hong Kong itself, we need to address the inequalities in health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so life expectancy traditionally is, a, is a, an outcome. But now, because of population aging, we've got to look at other outcomes, like are you aging well? Um, or are we extending dis- disabled life expectancy? Um, but I mean, other factors we we can uh, talk about. Um, okay, okay. So, so uh, G- Jean Wu, so so to interrupt you, if any if anybody has a phone uh, anywhere near, uh, uh, could you just sort of uh, uh, move it out the way, please? Yeah, thanks. We're getting some interference. Yeah, sorry. Please carry on. Yeah, um, other factors, if you look at holistically, we've got, uh, Hong Kong is a very small place, Uh, everything is very convenient, Uh, we've got a low crime rate, low frequency of natural disasters, Um, uh, we've got a unique urban setting, you can get anywhere very easily, good transport, Uh, our Chinese diet, the southern Chinese diet, uh, the, the, uh, the traditional Chinese medicine, um, that, that's very good at preventing various things, uh, and the low-cost healthcare system. Mm. Um, so all, all these things are contributory, but uh, we we can't really say uh, what percentage because nobody's done that kind of study. So it's, it's a combination of factors, all those good things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Sorry, Anna. Um, June, is it fair to say, I remember when this first came up in 2007, when the first um, Hong Kong outstripped Japan as having the highest figures of longevity, and a lot of it was attributed to the lifestyle, not now, but at the time that these octogenarians were born, and the lifestyle that they lived as young people, particularly during the war years, where food was scarce, which seemingly didn't do them any harm at all. Is that still the case? Because when we look at the younger generation now, uh, the latest stats I saw show that this generation is going to be the first generation where the life expectancy is less uh, than the current old people. Yeah, I mean, we might be looking at that because uh, people don't move now. They, they, they just sit. Uh, the physical activity is very low compared to um, in, in the past where you walk everywhere. Um, uh, the diet is very westernized. Um, so there are a lot of bad things happening in the current younger generation. Uh, but um, uh, interestingly, the Hong Kong Youth Study shows that uh, you might say that the current very old cohort are the survivors. So they had a very bad um, life and they survived that. Uh, but I think they've got statistics to show that if, if, uh, that is not really the case because it applied to people who are native to Hong Kong. 
So, so that that's interesting. Um, so the uh, Hong Kong, the geography. I mean, the, maybe uh, air quality in the past, but but now even that is worsening. So, so I think we're looking at a changing situation all the time. But 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 certainly at a certain point, when you target chronic diseases, smoking obviously was very important and obviously made a contribution. Well, uh, on that note, we also have with us uh, uh, Dr. Judith Mackay, who, of course, is a, a very well-known uh, anti-smoking campaigner. Um, good morning to you. Good morning. So, um, so smoking, clear, well, it's identified uh, the, the, the low prevalence of smoking as being a major factor uh, for Hong Kong's uh, great longevity. Um, so I guess uh, congratulations to everybody involved in, um, in keeping the, the rate of smoking down. Um, but w what other factors do you think, uh, Judith Mackay, that are um, you know, important uh, in producing these uh, impressive figures? Well, as Jean says, if we look at the here and now, it's different from, say, 50 years ago when infant mortality and infectious diseases were rampant. If you look at today and look at what contributes to premature mortality, you'll find there's five basic things. One is your genes. They reckon these contribute about 30% to premature mortality. You can modify them a bit. I mean, if you know that you, for example, got heart disease in the family, you may choose not to smoke and you can modify them. But essentially, your genetic predisposition, if you come from long-living parents, you're likely to live long yourself. So that's number one. Um, secondly, uh, the behavioural patterns, and here we're talking about smoking, and perhaps I'll come back to those, but social circumstances, poverty contributes 15%, environmental exposure to toxins or, for example, sunlight, um, and then healthcare, in fact, kicks in as well. So we've got all of these now sort of contributing to how long we live. And um, I think this whole business about tobacco smoking is really interesting. And yes, Hong Kong does have low rates in the world, and that's very commendable. Um, and as I said, it's part, as Jean very rightly said, it's part of a sort of smorgasbord of a whole different number of factors. But we do know that on average, smokers die about 10 years earlier than non-smokers. So you're dying at 60 rather than 70, or 70 rather than 80. And in fact, smoking is the single largest cause of preventable death amongst these other factors too. And I think, you know, we shouldn't also um, forget infections because it surprises a lot of people to learn that with cancers, for example, about 30% of these are caused by infections, stomach cancer, cervical cancer, liver cancer. Um, and that's one reason we do need to be cautious about COVID because we don't know with COVID at all yet and will not know for some years to come to what extent the COVID group of vaccines will contribute to producing cancers in the long term. Judith, can I just stop you there for a minute about the, the smoking thing? Because that's interesting, isn't it? Because let's be honest, when did we stop doing smoking in public here? 2000? Uh, that was the main bans came in in about 2007. 2007. Well, if think but, about this. I mean, this. there had been incremental bans. I mean, stretching right back to the 1980s. Yes, but think, the people who are in their 80s now, many of them would have smoked. So is it the case then that this shows that giving up smoking, even if you've been a smoker, means that you can repair some of the damage done by smoking? Because a lot of these octogenarians would have smoked, wouldn't they? They would have. Um, I think I would say two things about that. One is that 
we were in a very unusual position in Hong Kong with smoking in that our male rates approximated the rates, for example, in Europe. The highest was about 28-30%. But our female rates always mimicked the Asian pattern, and smoking amongst women in Asia still remains at about 5% throughout Asia. Um, so we sort of have benefited, in a sense, from um, the Western pattern for men and the, and the Asian pattern for female. So our rates were never up in the 70s and 80%, as you saw, for example, in Europe in the 1940s. We benefited from that, so we've never had those sky-high smoking rates, even 50 sort of years ago. So I think that has, has uh, really contributed. And yes, you are completely right in saying that if you stop smoking, here's a bit of good news. I always seem to be spreading bad news about smoking, but here's a bit of good news. If you stop smoking, then extraordinarily quickly, your, da your body can repair a lot of the damage. If you haven't already, for example, got cancer or chronic bronchitis and emphysema, even within a day, your blood pressure and your heart rate starts to uh, improve. And really, by the time you've stopped smoking for about five years, and certainly by 10 years, a lot of the major risk factors have decreased. So that's a really good news about smoking. It's never too late to stop. Even at 60 or 70, you have not just a better life expectancy, but a hugely better quality of life that Jean was talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Judith Mackay, could I just clarify something you said a little earlier, talking about infections and, uh, and rates of cancer. And you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the COVID group of vaccines. I did, and I'm just saying that we do not yet know. We're discovering more and more and more that, as I said, 30% of cancers are due to infection. Mm. And uh, we discovered, I guess it's about 20 years ago now, that uh, Helicobacter, the bacteria, um, is linked with stomach cancer, cervical cancers, and liver cancers, viruses. I'm just simply saying that we've got to be extremely cautious about infections because it's not just you get sick at the time, but it's these long-term effects that you get from yeah. um, infections, even polio now. But, you may get it as a child, but then when you're in your 50s and 60s, you can start getting neurological damage. Okay. With okay. Um, things like um, chickenpox, you can get um, uh, the ramifications of that, you know, in your 70s and 80s with um, herpes zoster. So I think viruses, we need to be cautious, very cautious about them and prevent them sure. if we can. Okay, okay. That's the point I'm making. Okay, 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 fine. Just to clarify, we're talking about the, the, we're talking about the, the COVID group of viruses rather than vaccines? Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, 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 sure. Sure, because obviously we're, you know, we're, we're trying to encourage everybody to get vaccinated against COVID at the moment. So, uh, oh, 100%. Yeah, 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 100%. Sure, sure, sure. Okay, okay. Yes, 100%. Right. Because yeah. the vaccine, if you can prevent the COVID, then yeah. a lot of the long-term effects, of course, will, will never happen. So that, and in Hong Kong, our main causes of death are cardiovascular, respiratory and cancer. Now, those are our sort of top three identifiable causes of death in Hong Kong. So what happens with heart disease and cancer is really important. Yeah, yeah, fine. Um, uh, Jean Wu, um, so Judith Mackay mentioned uh, a number of factors there as well as environmental, but we're not doing particularly well on environmental factors, are we? I mean, um, air pollution is still quite a serious problem at certain times of the year. Um, yeah, uh, I think um, uh, that's right. Uh, it's, 
air pollution, um, that many air pollutants, and which ones are we monitoring? I mean, we know about PM 2.5, but we know very little about ozone, for example. Um, I think a lot of the useful data come from China, where they've done, uh, where they're really pushing ahead with this agenda. And, and really, the question is, what is the contribution of uh, these different air pollutants compared with smoking? Uh, that, that's my, my, my question. I mean, if, if you're very successful, if you put your public health effort into uh, reducing one, but you don't do much about the others, um, it, it seems to be a bit unbalanced. Now, I, 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 I think um, that there are lots of data coming from China, the national data, where, for example, they relate uh, PM 2.5 and some of the other pollutants to dementia, for example. Now, Dementia doesn't kill you straight away. I mean, in a way, you could argue that it extends your dependent life expectancy by about you know, 20, 30 years, for example, with huge costs. Um, so, so, I mean, that brings on the question of, is life expectancy now a valid outcome? Should we not look at healthy life expectancy and measure that? Uh, because you might find that, yeah, you're expen extending total life expectancy at birth, but actually, you're, you're actually, uh, the extra years are years lived in dependency. So I think, I think the, we need to collect um, other data as well, other than total life expectancy. I mean, in, in the past, that was important, right? Uh, it's, mm. it's not good to die young, premature mortality. But now if, if the average age is between 80 and 90, and lots of people who read the obituaries are like, 1900 mm. <laughs> and the hospital wards are average age is 80 90. Um, what are we talking about? And you talk to a lot of old people and they say, I, I don't want to live so long because <laughs> all my friends have died, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think we might ch need to change our goals a bit. Well, in fact, just coming in here, World Health Organization has actually identified the the term of healthy life expectancy and I think um, I couldn't agree more with Jean that that's what we're now looking into and that is why in a sense that quitting smoking is a benefit because people are living longer but you are actually not just reducing the life expectancy you're reducing how well people are during that time your symptoms actually improve you know your cough your shortness of breath all of these symptoms improve when you actually quit smoking and uh, perhaps just adding a note about China. I mean, China is the most remarkable country in life expectancy. In 1949, when the present um, Communist Party took over, life expectancy was 36. And now it's, you know, in its 70s. And that's attributed mostly to improved nutrition and infectious diseases, as Jean was talking about. That's the first half of the equation to overcome those, those issues. But, I mean, they have done better than any low-income country in the world in terms of improving life expectancy. It's an extraordinary achievement. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, we mentioned also earlier uh, the Public Health Service, free access to um, what is a very efficient health service. I mean, this must be a major factor in uh, improving people's uh, lives and, and longevity. I, I, mean, don't, I yeah. don't know if Jean would like to answer yeah. that because she's working in yeah. the healthcare yes, system. Sure. Well, um, um, so the, 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 the health service, there the are two parts. There is the, the 
the curative part, the treatment part, which is the hospital authority. Now, the hospital authority has made, again, great advances in terms of making uh, the latest technology in terms of drugs uh, for diabetes, heart disease, as well as technology, uh, interventional uh, techniques to unblock your arteries. So, they, uh, you know, they uh, essentially, if you can't afford it, you can still get it um, for free. So, so what the hospital authority has done, I think that they would have made a big contribution in not letting people die. Okay, I'm not saying anything about quality of life or anything, but I, I, I think if you look at the case fatality rate, you know, if you have one disease, uh, so there's preventing a disease from happening. But once you've got a disease, uh, if you look at different countries, different surfaces, the, the fatality varies. Now, Hong Kong is very good. I mean, it's it's, inc um, it's improving. So, so I think there's a, a big contribution there to not uh, to to reducing uh, death. But that is not to say that you have a good quality of life. I mean, you may be extending dependency, but the hospital authority mainly is treat treatment. Uh, not, we, we're not too good on what happens to people who become dependent, okay? That's uh, this so, so, Jean, are we coming at this from the wrong end? The, the two examples you give, which are cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes, are lifestyle diseases. So by unplugging people's arteries at an advanced age and not changing their lifestyle, is, is that good medicine? Um, well, it depends on how you define medicine. I mean, it, it is good medicine if your aim is to, have, is to unplug the artery, which could not be done before. But if you look at it holistically... Uh, what does it mean to people? Um, it, it clearly is not satisfied. You unplug the arteries, but you don't do anything about changing their lifestyle. Exactly, now, that's my yeah, point. Yeah, now changing people's lifestyle is not easy. It, it, there's a whole lot of factors. Uh, if you want to be successful in that, uh, the motivation and uh, facilitating behavior change and so on. So, so for example, the smoking legislation. Uh, contributed to uh, changing the environment so that, well, you, it's expensive and you, you can't smoke in restaurants and so on, passive smoking. So, so it, it affected behavior in that way. But um, if you look at physical activity, people are getting more and more sedentary. And that's, that's going to be a huge problem. How do you motivate people from uh, doing exercise? Uh, you can't because everything is uh, digital. Um, you're looking at screens, different types of screen all the time, and you're not moving. So, so I mean, lifestyle, the prevention thing is not simple. Um, let, let, you know, you, you cannot legislate it. You, you can do things like modify your workplace if you have an enlightened Well, but Jean, 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 China is legislating it. They're making it uh, illegal for anybody to spend more than three hours on a gaming program. If that's not legislating <laughs> yeah. sitting, what is? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very impressive. That's the Chinese way, right? I mean, they're, they're quite logical in, in, in that it's going to be bad for you, so we're going to do that. Uh, but um, uh, but how many people would accept it? If, if you in, in Hong Kong, for example, I mean, uh, 
How would that work? Uh, and in Western societies, that won't work. Well, we need I to mean, do something, don't we? I was yeah, talking to I'm my yeah. physiotherapist yesterday who said she's now inundated with 11-year-old boys who need their necks uh, yep. de-scrunching <laughs> yeah. because of too much gaming. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of yeah. parents would welcome it. But yeah. I think it's true to say that if you look at health overall, then certainly it's very, very clear that treatment is an important component. Of course, we need the hospitals and, of course, we need the ambulance service. But it's very, very clear that treatment will not improve um, overall the health of Hong Kong as much as prevention now. And if you look back in history, it took 100 years for the infectious diseases to even be start to be controlled, like smallpox, for example, or polio, and we still haven't got on top of things like TB and malaria, although, of course, we have in Hong Kong. So I think that it's no surprise that the non-communicable diseases are challenging us in a way, and we're in our infancy in terms of behavior modification, I suppose, is the official term for it, to try and get people to lead healthier lives. So I suspect we're, things are going to get quite a lot better in terms of the unhealthy behavior that Jean describes, the sedentary lifestyle, the obesity, the diabetes. I think those are going to, it's going to take us a long time to get on top of those, but we certainly shouldn't stop trying. We didn't stop trying with the infectious diseases and looking at maternal care, and we certainly need to really now pursue the non-communicable diseases, which after all are now killing 60% of people in the world, and certainly are the top causes of death in Hong Kong. We have to look to prevention. Mm. Which mm. is lifestyle. Mm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, uh, well, we're going to take a, a short break in, in a moment uh, for the news. Um, we'll be back at three minutes past nine. Um, just a, a reminder to the listeners, uh, if you'd like to uh, join in this conversation, uh, you can leave a message on our Facebook page. That's uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 um, We've got several um, emails from listeners, which uh, I will read out uh, when we do come back. Um, in the meantime, um, just before we break for the news, uh, a quick look at the weather. It's going to be mainly fine, uh, very hot during the day, apart from one or two isolated showers. Top temperature will be around uh, 34 degrees, moderate easterly winds. The outlook, it will be very hot on Thursday and there will be isolated thunderstorms later. More showers and windier later on Friday and during the weekend. Currently it's 30 degrees, humidity 79%. The very hot weather warning is in effect. Back chat with Anna Fenton and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, Hong Kong's uh, longevity, the uh, longevity of Hong Kong people. And uh, uh, after 9.15, we'll be talking about the convention and exhibition industry. Um, so we have with us uh, Jean Wu, who's Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University and also Director of the... CUHK Jockey Club Institute of Aging and I think uh, also we're joined uh, on the line by Paul Yip who's uh, Chair Professor on Population and Health at the Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, just before we uh, continue talking to our guests, uh, a couple of emails here to read out. Um, Vic writes... Uh, 
dear Backchat, personally, I think the health system in Hong Kong has a lot to do with life expectancy. Kudos to the HA and the doctors for doing such a good job. Also, one has to just go to the various trail walks dotted around Hong Kong early in the morning and one can see how active the elderly in Hong Kong are. The only thing the government can ensure is, along with longevity, the elderly here uh, have a better social support system and quality of life. The generation which laid the foundation to the city's prosperity deserve better. And uh, Henry writes on Facebook, um, a few elderly centres offer quality music lessons on Western musical instruments, uh, but not Chinese musical instruments, and have bands. But they require participants to learn hard from a tutor, take grade exams and a lot of practice time. But this may not be to the liking of many who, who just want to learn, have a good time and not bother with devoting a lot of time to tackling uh, musical instrument grading exams. I learnt from my private tutors that there are many retirees achieving high-grade musical instrument uh, levels but without taking grading exams. Elderlies need to have uh, different interests to activate different parts of their brain. Um, so now, Paul Yip, I wonder if you could tell me something, please. Purpose and meaning is very important in later life. You, you're obviously very familiar with social workers and working in the community. What is it that we can do for older people to make sure that their lives have purpose and meaning? Well, I think it's important. I think if the elderly can have a healthy and active lifestyle, I think that this will give them the meaning and also the satisfaction of the life. Because I think at this moment, I think, yes, we do have one of the longest longevity in the world, but sometimes they live longer, but not necessarily healthier or happier. So I think one thing is very, very, very important, I think, to induce this sort of hope and enjoyment. I think then, as you might know, I think most of the elderly, I think they do suffer from more than one kind of long-term diseases. So I think this sort of pain management, disease management, and also the uh, medical care and care support, and also I think we are talking about aging in place. I think for those people who uh, prefer not to stay in the age home, I think they should be better provided or supported in the community. And how could that be done? Um, by care, carers going around to the home, or what would you recommend? Well, I think um, it really uh, depends on the personal circumstances. I think for some elderly, I think if uh, they can be supported I think by their uh, by their children, I think that would be most ideal. I think if they have their own home, so I think with the support, I think if we can make their home, I think more age friendly. I think I like to do some renovation. I think for their bathroom and then their living room to remove all these sort of barriers. I think which they can have a comfortable living, uh, aging in place. Now for those people who I think who need uh, uh, more medical and care support, I think that is really we have improve our quality of our age home and then also make it more affordable and accessible I think to our elderly uh, who uh, might not have such a strong social support. Many years ago I used to visit um, old people's homes in China and they had a model that was really wonderful to see in action where they had the orphanage in the same place as the old people's home and this was suggested here many years ago and rejected as a model. What do you think of that as an idea? Well I think it is uh, 
uh, it is a very good idea. I think a couple of years ago when I went to Japan and when I look at how this elderly home and this uh, of uh, young children home, I think they prefer together and such that this young orphanage and then or this this young this young children they actually once they cross the cross the playground and then they can reach the age home and then they can entertain. I think the elderly and some of the elderly they also they can entertain the young people too. So at this moment, as you know, I think uh, not. Many uh, older generation they have their family uh, here. Either they have migrated or they do not have uh, many children. So I think if we can provide these opportunities, I think to improve this intergenerational support, I think uh, uh, it will make their life more more uh, more interesting. It's not only for the elderly; it's actually for the young people too. Because some of these orphanages, I mean, they might not have the opportunity. I think to meet uh, the adults or the uh, uh, the uh, grandparents, and then by providing this opportunity, and such that it can improve, I think the un- the understanding I think uh, between the generations. Okay, uh, uh, Jean Wu, hi, uh, are you still with us? Uh, yes. <laughs> Very good. I have a question. Um, um, could you explain the, the discrepancy between the average life expectancy of men and women? We've got eighty-two point seven years for men. For women, it's eighty-eight point one years. That's nearly five and a half years difference. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean, people have been looking at that. Um, you see, part, partly it's um, uh, biological. Um, I won't go into that too much. Uh, 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 but um, partly uh, it might be behavioural because uh, women historically have been the sort of homemaker provider, particularly in Hong Kong. Uh, you will find that women in Hong Kong always attend uh, any sessions related to health activities. They always uh, women are always there, so so they they, they actually have a better uh, dietary habit than men. And um, I think the low smoking is partly cultural. I mean, if you look at European women, I mean, it's partly cultural, but I think they're more concerned about their health as well. Um, uh, So so I think that, I think probably the biological basis is the strongest um, uh, because of the life. But Jean, uh, isn't it also the case that men are more prone to what we could loosely call risky behaviours and accidents? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that shows up statistically right through. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, the, the, the behaviour behavior includes uh, yeah, risky behaviour, what, what you do, uh, uh, as well as the, the diet and, and, and all that. Uh, but the, the problem with women is it's not good that they live longer than men because uh, there are increasingly data to show that, yeah, they do live longer than men, but what they're extending in terms of their life expectancy is actually disabled life expectancy, life spent in a, a state of dependency with poor cognitive function and physical function. So, um, uh, you know, the gender differences, uh, there are a lot of gender differences in diseases as well, which uh, we, we haven't really... Uh, uh, done researching to. It's a very interesting topic. Don't you think that that's nature's way of making sure that women are around to look after the men? Yeah, the men point that out as an advantage. Yeah, uh, so marry a younger wife. (laughs) Well, marriage, that's a very good point too. Married people live a lot longer and more happily than singletons do. 
but I mean, since Paul, Paul is around, I, I, I wish to point out that about this longevity thing. I mean, Paul has actually done a study which showed that the suicide, well, I mean, we all know the suicide rate in older people are the highest, right? But we don't talk about that. So there's an element of ageism. We talk about school, school children committing suicide. And what's more interesting, that the suicide rate in older people increases with increasing temperature. And well, I think, yes, that is true. I think accurate means uh, the, old, the older men uh, kill, kill themselves three times more than older women, you know. I think okay. so. So, accurate so is one of G- the G- reasons why. Jean, can I, Jean, can you say what you said with the increasing temperature? Yeah, oh, yeah. So, so you would say, well, surely that's not good. Surely we can do something about that. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, I think if you, if you, uh, I think in poor studies, the proximity to community centres is a, a protective factor. I mean, we've just we've just observed this, right? Surely this is very important because because surely this is preventable, right? I, I think. The whole Hong Kong society, the people are not looking at these important questions. I think we should be focusing on aging itself and all the implications, the medical, social together, uh, your environment, your built environment, because we, we know there's global warming. I mean, so there's okay. a lot of okay. interesting questions going so, on. So, so, so by temperature, you mean it's, it, it's too hot? It's too hot inside, yeah, it's too hot yeah. outside, there's lack of air conditioning, that sort of thing, and that, that affects people's, that affects people's state of of mind and physical and well-being. Uh, you would assume that's what's happening. So they get more depressed when the temperature rises. Uh, I mean, it, it is a no physiological phenomenon for anybody. If temperature rises, your brain doesn't function so well. Okay. You're irritable, plus a whole host of other um, uh, 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 impacts on on health. But the question here is. Why don't you switch on air conditioning? And the question here is, many people uh, want to save money, save electricity, and many people don't have air conditioning. Mm. So what advice should we give them? Mm. We look at the environment, the urban planning, heat islands and stuff like that. Um, Well, I mean, it's it's something to be done. It's very important because things are getting hot. Yeah, Yeah, Paul Paul, Paul Yep, can can you elaborate on that topic? I think the poverty among the elderly is uh, very serious. I think the poverty rate is, is, is twice uh, uh, as high than the population average. So I think we do have a not a small proportion of the elderly. I think they live alone and, 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 and also they are poor. So I think it is very important, uh, as Jin said, you know, how we can uh, proactively uh, bring, reach out to these elderly, I think, who feel isolated, I think, uh, who feel very lonely, and especially, I think, during the COVID-19, as you can see, I think it's a quality measure. I think we restrict, I think, the visitation, I think, to the age home, I think, to the hospital. And this sort of visit and this sort of social support are very important, I think, to the well-being of the old adults. So I think it is time that we really have to look at how we can empower, I think, the community itself and how to provide the support and then to those elderly and who, um, who are more vulnerable. You know. So what are you doing about that? Well, we have been uh, doing a lot of uh, work and uh, trying to promote this generational support. We try to train some of the young people, I think, how to understand the older adults better. And then, uh, uh, instead of waiting them to come to the elderly center, I think we reach out, we go and visit them, and, and then try to build up this sort of 
old, sometimes you lose the hope, and then you have nothing to really feel very, very satisfied. But if there's a group of people who not only show their care and support and show some recognition for what you've done in your lifetime, I think these are very important as well. Yeah, um, is the, the whole longevity thing, is it also partly to do with the way uh, society is organised? I mean, I've been reading about the, the, the Preston curve, which plots life expectancy against uh, national income, GDP. Um, now, for instance, the United States uh, has a higher uh, per capita GDP than Hong Kong, but uh, in the US, the life expectancy is six years less than it is here. So that doesn't really equate... But well, they've got thirty percent obesity rates right, well, as well. Yeah, yeah, I think they also have suffered from higher. I think the uh, uh, su- the suicide rate and the the homicide rate, and these are mainly affect. I think the middle age group people, and which have a big uh, impact on the life expectancy, and also the infant. The infant mortality rate is very high. It is uh, is about three or four times higher than in Hong Kong. Actually, uh, Hong Kong has enjoyed one of the most lowest infant mortality rate due to our very good medical and care. And also the recent improvement of our life expectancy are mainly on the older adults. I think that so, so we actually we keep the people live longer. But uh, let's go back to the question. Are we keeping them to live uh, uh, healthier or not? Otherwise, I think we will be a victim of our own success because that, it will create more host, um, uh, 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 hospital use. I think that will I think it will become a big burden, I think, to our hospital system now. Yeah, I think you mentioned the Preston curve. Uh, I think the, the whole question there made Hong Kong even more interesting. It's related to income, in, it's related to income inequality. Um, so um, so the, if you look at the whole world, it, it goes like uh, uh, life expectancy related to the degree of income inequality. But then if you look at Hong Kong, there's a... Uh, Hong Kong is obviously uh, the odd man out. So, so what is going on there? It makes this whole question even more interesting. Macau, Macau has very high life expectancy rates as well. So, whatever we're doing here, they're doing in Macau too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we we have social gradient within Hong Kong. We have market social gradient, where whereby uh, for for many things, the poor have more more of it, more of the bad things, um, like uh, dementia, uh, various diseases and so on. So so you would then think that, well, surely we can do something about that. Um, so dependency, education, you know, lower education, bad outcomes and so on. Okay, well, thank you very much uh, to both of you for joining our conversation this morning. Uh, That was uh, Jean Wu, who you heard from, who's uh, Emeritus Professor of Medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the Chinese University and also Director of the CUHK Jockey Club Institute of Ageing. We also heard from uh, Paul Yip, Chair Professor at the Department of Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, before nine o'clock, uh, Dr. Judith Mackay, Honorary Professor at uh, Hong Kong New School of Public Health and a Senior Policy Advisor to the World Health Organization. So uh, uh, thank you all. Um, and now we're going to uh, turn to our second topic this morning, and that is the convention and exhibition industry, um, because amid the pandemic, the government is being urged to uh, offer immediate assistance uh, to help the expo industry basically stay afloat um, 
because uh, there was a serious lack of international trade events uh, taking place and, uh, and other events at the moment. Um, we're joined uh, by Stuart Bailey, who's chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association. Uh, good morning to you. Morning, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining. Um, so, uh, just tell us, um, how serious is the situation at the moment? Yeah, look, the, the situation is very serious indeed. Uh, I mean, according to the recent survey that uh, was conducted by the Hong Kong Convention and Exhibition Industry Association, 45% of the companies that were surveyed said that they'd no longer be in business in 12 months' time if the quarantine measures aren't relaxed or the government doesn't provide more support. Now, the, the government did put aside uh, a sum of $640 million um, for the exhibition and convention sector um, back in February 2020. The idea was that that money was going to cover the industry for one year. Now, we're almost a year and a half later, and actually only 15% of that money has been used, which means that it's, you know, it's not getting to the places that it needs to get to. Um, and that's, that, that's the issue we face, that... Anybody that's organising an international show um, hasn't received a penny of that money. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a fairly serious issue with, with companies that may not be around for much longer. Why, so, so, so why is that? What's, what's going wrong with the scheme? Well, look, the, the, the way that the scheme works um, is it only benefits those who can actually put an event on, um, which means that the events that have happened, um, you know, since, the, since February 2020, um, have been small and they have been local. Um, if you're trying to organise an international event, it simply can't take place because you can't get international exhibitors and you can't get international buyers to come um, and do 14 or 21 days of quarantine. So the, the, it's not just the organisers. There's a whole supply chain of people that build stands, the AV suppliers, contractors, etc. Um, and none of those people have had a, a, a penny of that support. Uh, and so, yeah, we're asking the government to, to look at that scheme, not necessarily provide new money, but just look at how the money that they put aside can be used to help those companies. And is the government responsive to your appeals? Um, well, the government have, have to, be, to their credit, said that they would go away and look at the scheme. Um, now, look, it, it's difficult, and I understand that, that you know, there, there needs to be a fair balance and to make sure that people that have benefited don't sort of benefit twice while, you know, while others miss out. Um, so... so I'm not suggesting it's complicated. It's particularly easy. There are complications, but um, you know they, they have said that they would go away and look at it. So we we are we are waiting for more information. But look, the the, the industry as a whole, we're, we're not necessarily going sort of cap in hand, and all we want is is money. Um, actually, what we'd much much prefer is uh, to understand what the plan is to open you know sort of quarantine free travel for people who've been vaccinated and are COVID free, so that we can put events on. You know we. We'd far rather run events and do business than, than sit around asking the government for money. Yeah, there's a comment here from Dan on our Facebook page, uh, which uh, d seems to uh, support what you're saying. It says, uh, Global Sources um, sent me an invitation to their huge consumer electronics show uh, from October the 25th to the 27th at uh, Asia Expo. But who will come for a three-day show if they have to quarantine for 14 to 21 days first? How can our trade shows survive under these conditions? Yeah, look, Global Sources is, is, is a great example. You know, um, in fact, they're the vice chairman um, uh, of the association. So, so they couldn't run their international events um, in the autumn of 2020 because of the pandemic. Um, this year, they can't run it again because of the pandemic. So, you know, they, they haven't had any cash flow for those two years. 
Um, and what they're saying at the moment is they're saying, look, you know, we're not going to survive for much longer with zero cash coming in. What we need to do is we need to know when the borders open so that we can start running shows. You know, the, the, the example of, of, of the conference that uh, was just announced this week, Rise, yes. um, which is coming back uh, to Hong Kong after a hiatus. Yeah. It's scheduled to be here in March. Yeah. Now, at this point in time, the organiser will be trying to sell events to international companies. They'll try to book, book international speakers, you know, probably Elon Musk. Uh, well, you know, what is Rise, Stuart? Could you just explain? Could well, you just explain what that is? is going to be, can I come without having to quarantine? And the answer to that is, well, at the moment, no, sorry, you've got to do two weeks. Um, so it, it's a non-starter. You know, the, the, these international events, they do take a long time to organise. They do need a bit of lead time. So we do need a, a plan because at the moment, you know, trying to plan for events that are taking place in the spring or the summer of next year is difficult because we have no visibility on, on, on what, you know, what the restrictions may or may not be at that point. So what is Rise, Stuart? Could you explain? Oh, Rise is a, is a big uh, sort of tech startup uh, conference. Um, it ran in Hong Kong for, I think, five years, um, and then it moved. It moved to Singapore. In fact, it was, it was supposed to be happening in Malaysia next year. Um, but uh, we, uh, the, the, the Hong Kong Tourism Board, I know, had done a lot of work in, in trying to bring it back to Hong Kong. So they, they'd announced that they were coming back and will hold the event in March 2022. But it, it's difficult to really see how a big international tech conference like that could be held with no visibility on, on, on you know, restrictions for quarantining. What yeah. is um, Singapore doing about its mice and conference business at the moment? Well, you know, look, unfortunately, Singapore have stolen a march on us because they have issued a plan. Um, they've got a four-step process in moving from pandemic to endemic, i.e. living with COVID. Uh, for instance, if you're a Hong Konger, you can go to Singapore, you can get on an aeroplane and you can go to Singapore without having to quarantine. Now, you need to take a series of tests to make sure that you're COVID-free, but as soon as you step off that plane, you know, you can walk around Hong Kong, sorry, Singapore. Singapore, you can go wherever you want. Um, and, and they've published this plan, this roadmap, um, for how they get back to normal. Um, so, so, you know, they are stealing a mask. There's a, there's a big food show on in Hong Kong at the moment um, called Hofex. Now, this happens in Hong Kong every two years. It happens in Singapore in the intervening year. Um, so the, the one in Hong Kong at the moment is a fraction of its usual size because you haven't got international pavilions and you haven't got international buyers. But the one which is taking place in Singapore next year is probably going to be bigger than ever. And, and the concern is that more and more of these big shows start migrating to cities that do have a plan uh, and they're just not going to come back because there is no infrastructure to run big events left in Hong Kong. Um, other than Singapore, what, what are the major sort of competitors to Hong Kong in the region in terms of uh, putting on expos? Well, look, I mean, Hong Kong has quite unique conditions to, to really be an international meeting place. And that's why it's had such a fantastic, you know, convention exhibition industry um, for so many years that, you know, it meets all the right criteria. And there aren't many cities in Asia that quite do that. Now, if you're targeting domestic, you know, China business, obviously Shanghai, is a, you know, is, is a fantastic place um, to go and hold exhibitions. But again, that, that really is a domestic audience. You know, it's not, it's not international. Um, Singapore, um, again, always competing uh, with Hong Kong. Bangkok is another city uh, that has, has fought hard to build up its trade show industry and done quite well. Um, so, look, there, there are other options for people.
Okay, okay. Well, I'm sure we'll be returning to this uh, topic uh, in due course. Thank you very much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Stuart Bailey there, who's the chairman of the Hong Kong Exhibition and Convention Industry Association. Um, just before we uh, wrap up the programme um, for this morning, have a few more emails on our main topic from earlier, which is, was about um, uh, Hong Kong people's longevity and also the, the welfare of uh, elderly people. Um, Kim writes, uh, absolutely, preventive care and knowledge is crucial, even if one is well informed of preventive care. Insurance companies do not cover treatments that could help clients avoid debilitating diseases such as dementia and save the insurance company money in the long run. As a result of this, doctors are also reluctant to recommend treatments that are not covered, so the result is more medication being prescribed. In Hong Kong, doctors and insurance companies need to update their approach to deal with health issues that are becoming serious issues, dementia being one of the major ones here and in the rest of the world. Um, Akil writes, uh, the longevity of the elderly in Hong Kong is, uh, has definitely improved thanks to modern medicine. However, the welfare of our elderly is really important. The younger generation seems to have forgotten about their elders. The government needs to improve a number of things for our elderly. Here's my list of things that needs to be taken care of. One, help them with their government consumption vouchers immediately. Two, improve their housing conditions. Three, reduce the waiting time for the appointments at hospitals. Uh, and he says, my parents need to visit the doctor regularly and they take over three to four hours just to follow up on their appointments and to collect their medicine. And four, take care of their utility bills. Um, OK, thank you. Akil, uh, uh, Vic, uh, oh, right, Vic again says, uh, Dear Backchat, does getting married fall under the category risky behaviour by men? LOL, such a sexist comment by the lady. And... Um, uh, uh, this one from A writes um, I was raised in a children's home in England on a Sunday after church we would visit elderly homes in the area each of us in rotation we enjoyed the outing but also having grandparents who we could interact with it gave me a perspective now that I am elderly your topic reminded me of different times that's rather similar to what you were talking about earlier Anna right on your visit to China oh so, yes the, yeah. young, the young kids and the old people it yeah. was really heartwarming to yeah. see them interacting yeah. and getting yeah. so much fun out yeah. of it. Yeah, great. Okay, well, thank you very much to our listeners. Um, um, thanks to you, Anna. Um, quick look at the weather before we go. Uh, it's going to be mainly fine. Um, very hot during the day, apart from one or two isolated showers. Top temperature around 34 degrees. The outlook, it will be very hot on Thursday and there will be isolated thunderstorms later. More showers and windier later on Friday and during the weekend. Currently 30 degrees, humidity 76%. The very hot weather warning is in effect. Every vote carries a wish for our city and our vision for our life. Over the years, a clean election culture has been our common belief. Going forward together, we will continue in our faith to build a brighter future. Abide by the rules. Support clean elections. Report Corruption Hotline 25266366. Hong Kong. Our advantage is you and the ICAC. Now the new summary with Vicky Wong. 
The Alliance in Support of Patriotic Democratic Movements of China says police have arrested its key members this morning after the group refused to hand over information requested by the force's National Security Unit. The group delivered a letter to the force yesterday explaining why it wouldn't hand over the information and rejecting accusations it was a foreign agent. The Alliance says at least four members, including Vice Chairwoman Chao Hangtung, were taken away. Southern District Councillor Paul Zimmerman says he doesn't believe he'll face any problems completing his Pledge of Allegiance to the Basic Law and the SAR. He'll be among the first batch of district councillors required to pledge their loyalty on Friday. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has said anyone who refuses could lose their seat. And Liberal Party leader Felix Chung has welcomed the government's Come to HK scheme, but says the quarantine-free arrangements for incoming mainland and Macau visitors needs to be reciprocated, otherwise they'll be isolated on their return home. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the University of Set and Costume Designer, great interpreter of Beethoven, as well as oh shy, quiet, and retiring Dolby Council co founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is a really for artists and not really for characters. Yeah, well, it's fun, you know. Decide what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. In depth interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Welcome to Wednesday on Morning Brew. Well, it's Classical Music Day and it's Vorjak's birthday. Happy birthday, Ant. So today, after 10.30, composer and conductor Colin Touchin will be talking about idiomatic effects, of course, in famous music. All that means is when a composer uses instruments and themes to imitate something. And we'll play you some as well after 11.30, live from Deepest Paris. RTL France's Philippe Dauvar will be with us for a tribute to the great French actor Jean-Paul Belmondo, who passed away on Monday. 12.10, we're going to unbox a brand new album from The Young Bucks. They're a local all-Canadian folk rock band. And singer Chris Ivany will be with us to introduce you to Rookies. It looks and it sounds great, so join us if you can. Chris Watts is still away for a few weeks. And of course, looking forward to his return. 